Hey, Richie McCormick here from OTB's Rugby Daily. We'll keep you up to date throughout this year's Six Nations. So subscribe to Off The Ball Rugby and you can listen to Rugby Daily for free wherever you get your podcasts. The Six Nations. Join in the obsession. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. Welcome along to the Hurling Pod. It is week three. It is podcast number five. And I can guarantee this is a podcast in which I've hit record. Because I've hit record, I've checked its recording, and now I've checked a second time in the top corner just to make sure as well. We are underway. The leagues are back. And I'm delighted to say James Gale is somewhere in the air right now as we're recording this podcast. I believe he's potentially stuck in a toilet, which is one of his phobias, is that he reckons he can't get back out of an airplane toilet. So that's what he's up to at the moment. So as a result, there's a different man to my right on the screen right now. Sean Flynn is with us. Sean, welcome along to the pod. How are we getting on? I, I promise I won't curse as much as Gale. So that's all I can promise. I'm not sure that was part of the deal when we reached out to see if you'd come on because we'd uh, we've been reading your articles for the last couple of years and kind of chatting about stats and bits and bobs along the way and uh, and hurling coaching. So we felt it was probably right to bring you on when we had a, a free seat. I don't know how, how much of a task it is to sit in for Scale there. Uh, sure, look, I, I just want to give loads of abuse to Galway lens. That's all I do. Want to even it out after all the abuse? Yeah, uh, yeah, everybody yeah, else is after <laughs> Uh, the other voice or face you see is Paul Murphy, of course, who's here. He's uh, missed his one pod for the year, so he's available for the rest of the season. Uh, the Hurling Pod is with thanks to Borgosh Energy. They are the proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. We're looking back in the first weekend of the league. Um, we had some very competitive games, including the wait goes on for Derek Ling to have a win as Kilkenny manager at senior level against Wexford. A very entertaining draw, which Murph was watching, 2-16 apiece. Uh, we had Clare do well in what they call the championship quarter of the game at this stage, especially that kind of 10-minute spell after halftime uh, they hit seven out of eight points against Cork eventually coming out on top a really well taken goal by Shane Amori laid on after a great pass from David Fitzgerald as they won by 125 to 219 in Ennis uh, Waterford well awfully were, were kind of the masters of their own downfall in a way with some of the goals they conceded but two from Stephen Bennett in the course of a minute when Waterford were playing against the wind uh, helped them to beat Offaly by 320 to 17 points in 1B Tipperary which Sean was watching we're going to talk about that in a moment uh, overcoming Dublin uh, Jake Morris with a very good finish from a tight angle for his goal 1-4 and all for him Tipper clinical especially in that second half Dublin maybe a little bit disappointing but Tip winning by 227 to 22 points the other two games were complete and utter blowouts really a 31 point win for Galway a couple of goals for Jason Flynn as they beat Westmead by 431 to 12 points and Limerick despite the fact they only had four starters from the All-Ireland Final last year eased to victory against Antrim in Semple Stadium winning by 136 to one goal in nine so they were the games in 1B I think Murph we can probably start with the action that you saw in person in Nolan Park yesterday um, we had a game that was, was it nine points to four at half time? I don't know if we necessarily thought we were going to see the thrilling second half and particularly the thrilling last five minutes or so that we saw in the game, which eventually uh, was level after Wexford scrambled home a late goal. Yeah, I suppose, look, the first half, there wasn't a huge amount to write home about in the first half. Um, I had Wexford down for, I think, four scores in the first half with maybe one wide, just showing that they really weren't uh, getting in on goal with Kenny, not really creating a lot of opportunities. Kenny down the other end, I think, about, had about six wides at the end of the first half, were creating opportunities, but, look, symptomatic at this time of the year, there was a lot of balls, I suppose, being dropped. There was a lot of misplaced passes. Both sides, I think, would feel that the play was quite flat at times in that they were probably going an extra pass 
inter- wide, you know, going laterally across the field as opposed to actually just driving on up the field. Again, those are all things you'd expect to see from teams in the first round. But the second half, you know, in fairness, it did kick into life. And I think from a Wexford point of view, um, particularly from key roster, but also from the supporters. Like throughout, in fairness, Wexford were getting stuck in. They were really going at Kenny where they could. Again, not perfect at times, but they were showing fight, they were showing battle, they were getting involved. They'll be happy with the likes of Connor Foley came up from full back and got two points, which was great. You know, it just showed that he was wasn't afraid to you know drive on up the field and support Wexford while in attack. Wexford looked lively, they looked fit. So I think from a Wexford point of view, they'll be happy coming away from Nolan Park with a draw game. Kilkenny, as Derek Ling said after the game, will probably be disappointed that after they got that last penalty and went up by three points, that they didn't just close it out there. I think that's what Kilkenny will be disappointed with. But certainly both sides probably out of all teams weekend I think Kenny and Wexford will be happy enough in terms of identifying areas that they want to build on um, and also the amount of players really that they got runs into there was a lot of young players on the field a lot of lads making you know basically debuts for, for their senior team so I think both sides will be happy that they've identified lots of things to work on but you know for quite for quite large parts though of this game there was you know play was broken up with just mistakes on, on both sides but again that's all things you'd expect from this time of year so look I think in, in fairness a draw was a fair result yeah I mean one of the things Sean for Wexford is about maybe just bringing through some of those players that played so well at underage level for a key roster and getting them now into the starting 15 because they've been presented with that challenge of coming in without Conor McDonald at the start of the campaign Rory O'Connor they're waiting for him to come back as well so it's an opportunity for some of these young players now to stake a claim and um, we were talking about Keen Byrne last week who came off the bench and scored 1-1 and got that goal right at the end of the game it's well set up for some of those lads from the 20s teams from the last two years to maybe make an impression now in the league between now and the end of the campaign yeah, and you have to take your chance. Like even watching last year, Wexford, like they're still going back to the same kind of core group of fifteen or twenty. So they really need someone to push on. But I just, I, I was up at Galway and Wexford last year now in, in the championship, and like you know, Lee Chin was injured and didn't play. And like even the fact that Lee Chin is playing now, it's probably keeping them competitive in games, and they can bring in some of those players. Because remember, they played Clare last year, and. They had a lot of injuries and they got absolutely wiped. So, like, you do need that sort of mix that you have a few established players, throw in your couple of young players then. Because if you just go in with a, I suppose, a carte blanche kind of young team against the, the top teams in the league, especially in league games, you're probably not going to see how good they really are. Like, and that's why I liked even Tip Day, even the weekend, they, they mixed, they mixed between the, you know, the players that have four or five, six championship seasons together. and Trying in a couple of new lads so yeah it's important for Wexford and I suppose like the big thing for, for Wexford is like are they are they going to play with a sweeper now or are they just going to go play you know 15 on 15 go for it and maybe just drop lads back like I don't know what, what was it what did it look like yesterday um, and Paul yeah, um, to be fair to them, like typical when we would have played Wexford a few years ago, Wexford would be happy enough to kind of sit back with maybe an extra man, get win the ball in that area, and then kind of flood forward with a lot of runners off the shoulder. Now that would be typical, I suppose, of of Davy Fitzgerald teams, but they have they do seem to have retained a bit of that in that they always kind of had an extra man. Well, they appear to have an extra man just sitting on the D there at times. But to be fair, they weren't. They didn't. They didn't feel very defensive. They seemed to be doing it at times just to stifle Kenny, particularly in the first half when Kenny had the wind but after that after they won the ball they used it really well but they, they, they moved it out into the channels where those runners could come up it, it, it wasn't a very 
I suppose I call a physical Wexford team. They're definitely very fit and quite strong, but they seem to priority seem to be on running the ball um, where they could. But at the same time, I mean, they didn't get a huge return off the long ball, but you could see that they were willing to use it, which is encouraging as well, because, you know, if they're running that ball out, you're going to draw teams onto you. But then that occasional long ball will usually be benefits. What I thought was actually really good was the use of the ball down the lines into the channels, like they're targeting the two corner forwards there between Seamus Casey and James Byrne. They actually targeted them really well and gave them good ball that they could come onto. So it wasn't just a case of a hit and hope or striking it into an area. To be fair to Wexford, they were getting the head up, having a look. And the first few scores they got, I think, was actually just getting it into the corner there. First few scores from play, should I say, was actually getting the head up, seeing that there was a player coming out from full forward, out to the wing, landing the ball in front of them. And the two boys in the corner were really fast. So, you know, you can see what they're trying to do, which is which is great, because as a Wexford supporter, certainly, but even from a neutral looking at Wexford, you know, a good, lively Wexford team in the championship is a great thing to have because they're capable of turning over lots of teams. They're a very passionate team and they play with a lot of heart. And it, I think we saw flickers of that there yesterday. So their, their style seemed to be very much, like I said, was obviously they want to protect that full back position, have a lad back there. But once they got the ball, in fairness, they were trying their best to run it up the field and create those scoring chances. So I think, look, I think as they get a few more games under the belt, we'll see them really starting to open the shoulders. And I think what Keith Roster is trying to do in the team, I think we'll really see a, a great brand that will be complemented when you return the likes of Dio Keith and Rory O'Connor and these lads into the team. Because it was a young team, but they still seem to understand what they're trying to do, which, again, I suppose, you know, Sean, when, when you're seeing, if all your panel understand what you're trying to do and you can see it on the field, that's very encouraging because because you have a greater pool of players to slot into any position once every player understands what you're trying to do. Yeah, and even for Kike, like how the likes of Harry Shine, how you'd have taught in, in Kieran's there and how you would have seen him playing. And, like Derek doesn't seem to be afraid to throw in like young lads. I know he was with the twenties, like he doesn't seem to be thrown in afraid to throw in like Sakillian Dyle last year and, and Harry and these lads. And how did he go? Like is he yeah, I suppose for the, the, the full forward line as a whole, I think would be disappointed with was just making the ball stick when it was coming in. There was good ball coming in, but this time of the year, really, I would see it as it, it, it does favour the defenders because the ball, like you know, you could have Harry shining on onto a ball there that lands perfect for perfectly for him, but it just gets caught in the ground, and suddenly now the defenders on your back, and you can't, you know, you can't get out of or you can't get the ball into your hand and move it on. So the Kilkenny full forward line in general. You know, there was a few missed touches and things, you know, all things that wouldn't be getting caught up about. But, you know, they didn't have the same return, I would have felt, as Wexford. Like, Kenny hit, I even down for eight wides here, whereas Wexford only seemed to hit four over the game. They were just that bit cuter and that bit better at converting their chances. Um, as I was saying as well, Wexford were sitting back that little bit more. So if Kilkenny, if the Kilkenny full forward line didn't get the ball into the hand the first time, they were getting bottled up very quickly. But Derek and Ferencum, like you said, Liam Blanchfield was out and Harry Shine was in from the start. Harry Shine, he looked lively. He was making good runs. And even at times when he was getting bottled up, he did, he did come out with the ball and recycled it really well. So I think in fairness to Derek, which is great, you know, younger players can't say that they're not getting an opportunity under them. You know, you had Parik Mylan in the corner back again, had a good game as well. Um, there was lots of lads there, even Jordan Malai there. We saw him playing with the Lockdowns during the year. Jordan Malai was straight in a wing back there as well. Kevin Blanchfield, another fella as well, who's Liam and David Blanchfield's brother in midfield. So he's given lots of lads lots of opportunities. Something definitely the Kilkenny crowd would be encouraged by, but also for a panel point of view, 
you know, if you're a younger player, the one thing you want is just an opportunity here and there. And if you're not taking it, you can nearly make a piece with it. So Derek, in fairness to him, you, you said at the start, Sean, that mix of uh, experience with youth, there's definitely youth being injected into that panel in, and, and into the starting 15. So from, from, from a younger player point of view, I think, you know, if you're going to be playing under Derek Ling, he will give you an opportunity. He'll give you an opportunity definitely against good teams and he's not afraid to do that. But it's a matter of, of taking that opportunity as well. Um, similar to what Billy Drennan did, I suppose, last year consistently through the league. Yeah, like, so that's the thing, right. Murph, that Billy got the injury just at the wrong time, just for a championship came around last year. Again, he comes in like wonderful dead ball striker, isn't he? He hit the two penalties mm. perfectly. Was unlucky, maybe was slightly outside of his range for the one that could have went over to win the game at the end. But a uh, big contribution off the bench, two, three in that cameo appearance. Yeah, I had him down for, I think it was a 48 minute he came on and scored 2-3, could have been 2-4. And I know you'll say, okay, two penalties there as well, but struck him to the same side of Mark Fanning, but was confident in what he was doing, knew what he was at. Like, one thing I would say about uh, Billy Drennan, and I think lots of coaches would say to players, is that, particularly in the likes of dead ball situations, almost being mechanical in what you're doing, that you have a routine, you know what you're about, and before, particularly with penalties, before you're stepping up, already deciding what you're going to do I mean Billy seems that he's decided before he steps over penalty what he's going to do struck two to the same side which shows a great deal of confidence there lots of other players might change it up to the far side but um, you know he was excellent and you know coming on and getting two three off the bench that's a huge contribution coming down the last 20 minutes in the game okay he missed the last one he'll be disappointed with that but we did see you know Lee Chin missed um, a fairly scorable free as well in the first half against that wind so you wouldn't be too concerned that you know in those situations there was you know the elements were at play as well uh, and you'd forgive him considering he came on got two three missing one at the end there like you know you're, you are going to you are going to forgive that but he was very calm when he came on like I mean he scored a second penalty but he also said it up you know he ran through drew out two extra backs and then a loop and hand pass over to Billy Ryan as well so from a young player to come on and have an impact like that I mean that's the example that Derek will be saying as well to younger players to say look at lads this fella is only this is a second year on the panel and already people kind of consider him as a, a level-headed fella to have these are traits he should be showing so he's a great example for younger players coming through and again I do think he's a player that will build on what he did last year I think he'll identify himself that okay maybe didn't have a good league final I need to keep progressing on not just be happy with what I've done but I think the next day and I think more consistently I think Billy Drennan will be starting for Kilkenny because like you said unfortunate injury last year but uh, he seems to bring just a savage consistency to Kilkenny when it, particularly during the league because he's trying to make a statement I think to the management as well mm. Just something interesting you said Murph there about like teams sitting back well like say Wexford I think that's something that probably Kilkenny needs to work on Mm. So when you're playing against a team who is sitting back and they know what they're really doing, like maybe Clare didn't probably do it last year in the semi final, but like you know, Wexford have done that over the last couple of years. You know, anytime, anytime Limerick are in trouble against Kilkenny, like they're two half hours go right back in into the into their own half and and really kind of dog up their 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 half the field and then work the ball out. Mm. And even the club final, I thought, even Lachlan's and. And St. Thomas's in the second half, like St. Thomas's kind of sat off with Lachlan's and Lachlan's didn't really know what to do. With, you know, they were hitting sharp hook outs and then they were going along and kind of Thomas's were happy with, with them doing that because they had their own half pack. So that's probably an area like that maybe, you know, especially if you want to do like Kilkenny are, they've proven that they're the second best team in, in the country over the last couple of seasons. So like, I think that's probably something they need to work on and, and probably target and Mm. You know, maybe only against the likes of Wexford and, and Limerick, you're only going to get that proper test. But still, it'd be interesting to see can they 
can they work around it and what to do with maybe wing backs or midfielders or their own wing forwards? Like I know they usually drop their wing forwards deep, but it'd be interesting to see like what what they can do on it. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. Like, like I mean, it wouldn't be anything I suppose new to say that. You know, we in Kilkenny and particularly teams I played in were probably later to the game in terms of other teams um, over the years, particularly around the mid, uh, around, let's say, 2014, 15, 16, as the game was kind of changing and teams were becoming a bit more savvy about sitting back. And I agree with what you're saying. I would say that Kilkenny, where they would get most benefits from it is that, let's say they want to play a certain way where, like at the moment, uh, they do have lads who kind of flood back to, okay, I won't say flood back, but they do sit back to a degree in that, Kilkenny win the ball in the backs. Often it's Richie Reid as the outman, and Richie Reid goes to spread it across the pitch and get the diagonal ball to shift the focus of the play across to the far side. And they're really good at that. But where I think they would benefit would be definitely that being able to shift it for even 10 minutes of the game. Like you were saying there, you know, if you're playing against Cork next week, for example, Cork are getting a bit of a run on you, and you figure out, listen, lads, we do need, and that's not to say it's not something that Kilkenny do, but it's just need something maybe they need to get a bit sharper at is as a whole identifying that as a team, not waiting for Derek and the lads to say it, and just sit back to stifle that bit of a purple patch that teams may get. Because I agree with what you're saying. At times, I think Kilkenny are nearly too honest in what they do that they nearly retain their formation so much to try and stick to the game plan that maybe they'd benefit from a little bit more of okay for this period where a team is getting run this. Let's sit back a small bit more, absorb what the team is throwing at us. And then once we get back in control and we retain, because Limerick do it the whole time, and Limerick are really good at it, where they identify when a team is coming at them. And and everybody starts, I suppose, really sitting back and really crowding out that area. Um, but it is something for Kilkenny. And, and, and I will say this, was Kilkenny have found it hard against Wexford over maybe even the last decade or so. Wexford do enjoy playing against Kilkenny. Um, and I think teams that play against Kilkenny over the last good few years do enjoy running the ball at Kilkenny because they know that um, running the ball at Kilkenny, Kilkenny may press up high on you and you may get that bit of space in behind. So, no, I'd agree with you. Yeah, it is certainly something that Kilkenny are coming to the game with, but maybe we're just a little bit later than other teams in terms of actually implementing it or even taking it a step further and actually, you know, going and sitting back that little bit further while teams are in their purple patch. Like, because, like, the beauty about Kilkenny is like that when you were in Kieran's yourself, like, 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 Every Kilkenny player is able to hurt. Every Kilkenny player is so comfortable taking a ball like straight at his head and catching it. And like that might sound so basic, but like the fact that Kilkenny are so good at the basics, it's it's small things like that. And it's only a small thing. I think if they could get that right, I think they could go a, a seventy minutes with, with, with likes of Limerick. Um because like, you know, you're I kinda of, saying it to Will, like you're watching teams um, trying to play the ball out and it's just the basics of actually controlling the ball and taking it under pressure in the hand like that's what they're falling down on whereas Kilkenny it's just natural to them like you know I, I remember teaching there like in the morning time at half eight in the morning there's lads out on the pitch and there's one lad pucking the ball down on top of ten lads and they're all just going hell for letter at it and they're doing the same at break time and lunch time so it's just constant like you know and, and that, that's why they're good like they're good in the air they're good, good with all the basics so it's like it's only those small things I think that are catching Kilkenny mm. and it's like look you're not looking at them to play like uh, Cork or Wexford and play sweepers or anything like that you're just just that small little bit of of any even as you say like I think Kilkenny benefit from teams coming at them you know mm. they can really punish them but it's, it is when Wexford or a Limerick team like that stayed off that's when they that's when they just need to do something different now than they have been doing like mm. 
Sean, I'd normally ask El about puck outs at this stage because you brought it up very nicely, the idea of teams trying to work it through the lines and work it out from the back. So for the Wexford first goal, Kilkenny were caught in a turnover from a short puck out. Uh, you saw awfully give away a couple of goals from one not clearing a free and then making a mess of the puck out straight afterwards as well. You were writing about the puck outs last week and Scale had been reading through it. It was actually kind of uh, brought up a conversation we were having last week where it seemed as if maybe the trend was moving a bit away from those shorter style puckouts, but last season we saw a return back in that direction again. Yeah, and actually something interesting, I might throw it up on Twitter um, later. When Cork played player yesterday, in the second half, and they had the wind, at one stage they had four players in their full back line, four players across their half back line inside the 45, and they had two wing forwards just right outside the 45. So basically nearly they had 10 players kind of inside that area. And they worked the ball out, and basically they got a ball into the full into full forward line. Now it wasn't one in the full forward line, but what it did was it gave a huge question to say players to wing backs do I push, do I stay? Same to clear midfield, do I push? Do I stay? Do I st- stay? And I'd say I could say we could see that puck out more often now because they're looking at the likes of Limerick and going, geez, we can't, even Kilkenny, we can't stay poking it down on half half their half back line and midfield and getting annihilated on the breaks. We have to try something different. So, like, I definitely think, like, for teams that have strong half-back lines, like, like that's why I say the short puckouts are being used. But, like, I see some teams, they're trying to play short puckouts with 6v6, like six backs v six forwards. I don't know what you think, Paul. Unless you're going straight long up the line or something like that, off the, when the cornerback gets the ball, he's just turned around and going straight down up the line. And they have something planned up at the other end of the field where, you know, they're breaking a ball or they have numbers to a break. Because it's it's very dodgy trying to work the ball out six v six. I, I remember Galway even it's a good one to ask Skettle about Galway playing Limerick and the All Ireland final in in um, two thousand eighteen. Like like Limerick kind of let the Galway full back line have the ball and they just kind of let them come out with the ball on two catches and then they were turning it over. Especially in that first fifteen or twenty minutes, they got a bit of joy off it. So, but I do think another thing is the, is the quick the quick puck outs like from the, especially now you can see it even yesterday in the Clare and Cork game. Like, if a ball goes wide and the ball is poked out straight away, like it makes sense to just literally bang it out straight away. The opposition isn't set and just have a go working it and going for a shot or putting it into the full forward line. But, and like, even it's more pronounced probably now with uh, the wind. Like, the wind for Saturday and Sunday, the wind kind of ruined games. But Jesus, if you were able to get a quick puck out, out, out if you have a wind one two passes you could be having a shot nearly inside your own half and it's over the bar so I I I don't know I'd say teams are definitely working on it because like again it's like Kilkenny back in the day Paul when we were playing like everyone's kind of modelling modelling your game off trying to take down the best team mm. and like at the moment the two best teams are strong in the air and they're strong strong in their half back line so they're trying to come up with ways to um, kind of negate that mm. and I think I, I even Cork now. I was interested to see Cork doing that because, like, that's Cork's weakness is breaking ball after long puck out. That's where they really, really struggle, and just winning that fifty-fifty ball. Like they're very good if ball goes dead and they can hit a long puck out quick and into space. If players run onto it, but when they just have to kind of, you know, there's a break in play and then the ball is poked out and the team has the opposition have time to set and they have to go to war underneath a high ball and on the break. That's where they really get blown out of games and struggle, and that's where. They probably sometimes you'd see in games on Cork play they get into these cycles where the opposition have a shot they go along the opposition turn the ball over and go again and get a shot again and that's why they were really using that sharp puck up but 
I think if they if they get that right, filing bodies into their own, loads of bodies into their own half and working the ball out, it, it'd be interesting to see what they can do in championship games. But again, doing it in a league game, well, you probably know, doing it in a league game and then doing it in a championship game are totally two different things. Like. Yeah, completely. Like I mean, uh, I it's a great point that you make about about Cork um, having so many players in the in the half because, like you said, six on six. Uh, if you do a short puck out and something goes wrong, when I say something goes wrong, a lad miscontrols it. It now becomes a fifty-fifty ball. Lads are fighting for. And what also happens then, I feel, is that teams maybe lose a bit of confidence in terms of what they're doing. You know, what you're initially trying to do is retain that possession, a guaranteed bit of possession of puck out and try to build from there. Like you said then, the opposition then have to ask themselves, do I push up or do I sit back off it? Which is always, if you have an opposition asking that question, you're, you're doing something right because you're posing a question for the opposition. So the benefit of having so, so many lads there is that ideally let's say I take it in corner back um, take the puck out in corner back I want two options it's not necessarily one you, you should have two options really and it's like if you want to even reference other games like Barcelona with a triangle where if, if the lad is coming in to try and close you down if he's going right I can either take him on or pop it off but now that there's another option where I actually have a third player or a second player that I can pop it off to it's very hard for that player closing down to try and actually get the ball off you but you often see a drill that teams do before game or they do it in training sessions where they do the weave they do a three man weave with the ball it's, you know probably every team in the country does it in hurling but that idea implemented into a game doesn't necessarily happen a whole lot in that a player often on the ball will have one option but not two options when a player has two options on the ball very rarely will they get turned over because they they have two good options in front of them and for a short puck out that's essential really because there's less pressure on the player to control that ball the first time if he miscontrols it he can get it up into the hand still has two options probably a lateral pass across to a full back who's making a run or you have the half back or whatever it may be so having more options and then let's say if you turn if the ball gets turned over you now have a lot of defenders there to actually defend that situation so it most likely won't result in a score for the opposition team but definitely like I agree with what you're saying like there's no point in practicing these things before or only when you meet Limerick. You know, you need to have a few tricks up your sleeve before you meet the likes of Limerick. And again, lots of things that we'll be talking about even throughout the year will be, will this work when you play your, your Limericks? And that's really it. Uh, will, will this work when you play Limerick? But it, it is interesting to see that with Cork because, uh, like you said, when Cork are tenacious and when they're fighting, and it's often things we're critical about them over the years, um, when they are, when they do do that, they're brilliant. And the likes of Declan Dalton and these, I think, is bringing that back into the team, that bit of steel, that bit of fire. But we often don't see that on the long puck out with Cork, where they're actually willing to go up and be tigerish, fighting for the ball in the air. They're usually happy to move the ball out through the lines. But oftentimes we've seen them trying to move the ball out through the lines as well, and they, they, they struggle at doing that at times when they're not fiery, when they're not tenacious. So I think it's, for, for this Cork team, which I am really looking forward to seeing them during this year, I do think of. I think I do, I do think they're going to build on what they did last year. Hopefully, Declan Dalton gets back from the injury, and that we see him getting getting back into the team as well. That a Cork team that has all the skill, great running, they have great players, and they have, they have a big panel as well at the moment. If they have a few few different tricks, not even you know tricks, a few different styles of play that they want to play, and a few different questions they can ask of teams, like you're identifying there against Clare, I think that Cork team could really bring it to huge levels to taking on this Limerick team. And I think that's something that we need, particularly in Munster, that we do really have a fiery Cork team that is not afraid to express themselves on the pitch, that is trying new things and maybe asking questions in Limerick that haven't been asked previously. Hmm. What went wrong, Sean? No, no, go on, you go first, go on. And like, just like, even basics, like for club teams, like when you're doing short bookouts, like 
I mean, why are you do like you have to always ask why are you doing it? Like, are you doing it just because for the sake of it? And then you're wondering, like, like you have to have some sort of plan. Like, and even yeah. the basic one, going out to the corner back and getting it long. Like, if it's over the half back line, that's your job done. Like, if you get it over the half back line, it's up to your forwards to win it. Yeah. Um, like you obviously a lot of times you see Sean Finn, he get a sharp book out and. He, he looked to play it in front of like a Gerald Hagerty, Tom Arcey or someone like that. If that's not on, like they just they bring it up and they'll just put it into their full forward line and you just have to win it at that stage. Like sometimes we kinda I don't know, you would be worried that you're trying to make you're thinking of the non contact kind of scenario where it's lovely and ball off the shoulder into the hand and strike into the hand, bang, it's over the bar. But like like there is an element where you just there's times you have to go to war whereas it's the ball into the full forward line or it's the ball in front in front of a half forward but again it goes back to the basics like you see teams trying it and you know a ball falls out of their hand when it comes to or to control it and it takes two or three touches to control it and then bang it's you're under pressure um, like Dublin the other day now they, they know they're playing against a strong breeze but they try to work it out and like the amount of times that it just broke down from them and they were trying passes there was no line inside for a pass they were trying to trade it through an eye of a needle or over somebody and it's very hard to do like and Again, you have to look at what you have. Like Cork have the players, the ball players. Like you know, Limerick have the ball players. Kilkenny have the ball players. But there is some teams that don't have probably players comfortable in their backs do that um, at intercounty level, especially if we're going up against a better team. So I just find like few basics on the short pokeouts. I think either you have an overload, which means you have seven or eight players in your own half, like you're saying, and you, you can have your two or three options, or you're putting it in front or over the, the half back line the opposition and after that you know I think I think there's no more you can do like you know and I that might even still sound complicated but like I think sometimes Cork do try and overcomplicate it with six, seven, eight, nine passes and they're working the ball out then and the whole defensive shape is gone because four, 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 four or five of their defenders have been involved working the ball out ball is turned over the forwards and there's no shape to their back line and that's why there's pockets of space and teams can just bang it in there and forwards are able to get handy scores so like sometimes it, it does work against Clark when they do lose the ball in the forward line after working the ball out and that's why they're getting caught like it's, it's small things like that that do catch them out we're jumping around a little bit Sean but I'm yeah. thinking about that that Dublin performance on Saturday which I thought was quite disappointing now I do like the fact that we're getting more games on TV this season even this coming weekend we've got a double header on Saturday double header on Sunday so we're seeing four of the six matches and it was helpful to have that game on Saturday afternoon to make sure we've more hurling to watch in the weekend just gone by but like that was one of the things you would identify about Dublin is that last year I think of the Antrim game I think of other times when they went direct and they let their forwards try and win their own ball and Dublin were very threatening especially at Parnell Park yet they seemed to move away from that against Tipperary which played right into Tip's hands Yeah Now the breeze was bad so I'd say if you were later on the ball from your own 45 it was dropping it was, the wind was holding it up but um, yeah like I, look maybe there, there are missing a few lads they're missing um, Crummy and there's a few lads not there, like, but God, like, when you're looking at Dublin the other day, like, a basic game for them would suit them, and maybe that would make them more competitive, as you say, like, like just getting the ball in to lads that are well able to win the ball in the air or break it down and, and funnel in on the breaks. But there was a lot of cases there where balls were being played up when they were played up, and it was to one off runners. And you know, if you don't win a first time, then it's ridiculous away. And Tipper had the crowd, the, the one man then, and they were able to break out with the wind. But um, yeah, it was disappointing. Like I, I, I kind of was worried about going up there. Like I was kind of saying, "Geez, Parnell Park now will will Dublin have something in the first round of the league?" 
you know, would they would they give would they give something would they give Tipperary a problem, especially running at them, you know, inside the full forward line. But kind of never the first ball trying in, they ran at Tipperary and they got a point out of them. And after that, then um, it just it wasn't. Yeah, it was just a bit all over the place. And you know, they even sometimes there there was a time the goalie just three or four times he set up to hit a puck out and he stopped and he went again and he stopped and. Just there was no there was no options there and they played very deep and in the they played very deep when they were playing against the breeze and they were just they didn't leave enough players up top to even trouble Tipperary at times in the first half. And like again, Tipperary are probably the better hurlers, so they're able to use the ball and flip the ball around and then get scores from distance. But like with Tipperary then, like the second half against the breeze, it probably highlighted an issue for Tip again and that's winning long bookouts. Um you know, they got Dublin got it back to four points and Tip kind of struggled to try and get the ball out and some of the short puckouts then one was turned over um and they got and Dublin got a score out of it and again back to that, you know, passes going to the ground and then it's it's a rough situation. Um and eventually Garrod O'Connor stepped up and he's gonna be a massive player, I think, for Tip because he is a target man. He just stepped up, caught a puck out, caught a ball and just kinda of, it kinda of settled Tip a bit then and they got a got a second goal then but yeah, it was interesting to see Tip. Um, like they are mixing, you know, they're throwing in the likes of Owen Connolly again this year at midfield. Um, Sean Ryan, like Sean Ryan, had a tough opening half, but I liked the way Cahill kind of he, he showed a bit of faith there and he kept him there and he eventually got his goal. So, like I'd say, Cahill knows that probably what he has now in Tip is there's, there's nobody else out there. Like he has gone through a fair amount of players and he's looked. Uh, well, prim intermediate clubs, intermediate clubs, and he's given them all a chance. He's brought them in, so I'd say what he has now, there's nobody, you know, you know ourselves, there's nobody in the club championship that you'd be kind of saying, geez, he, he'd be worth trying out. They've nearly, you know, they've tried everybody now, and it's just about getting, I suppose, your 15 best hurlers on the field and going at it. Um, Connor Bow was playing wing back again. Um, it's hard to know, like, I, I still think he, he'd be a forward for tip. He's just like you know yourself, well, like and, and when you want a forward that's able to, you know, just glide around the place, and he's good, he's well able to take a score, and that's what Connor is able to do. And when he gets the ball in the back, he's able to glide out more bother. But I just feel that you do. He's we still need someone like that up in the half forward line as well, um, in around there. But uh, great to see Craig Morgan back as well. I know he played against Offaly last year, but he's a class player, and you need class cornerbacks now who are comfortable on the ball, uh, coming out the ball, and he's one of them. And, like even the goal, like the first goal, Sean Ryan just came out with the ball, let it in a crossfield ball, and, and Sean Ryan turned his man and scored. So um, I would say Tipperary won by being the better hurlers. Um, there wasn't anything magical in terms of tactics or anything new, but Cattle was definitely, uh, Cattle and Beavens were definitely uh, talking to their backs a lot, and there was, a, there was definitely a lot going on around shape, around. Uh, wing forwards and midfield tracking back for any any recycled ball if Dublin were recycling the ball out they were really pinning their players on getting back and getting maybe 10 players into their own half and then breaking out so I've seen that against Kerry in the Munster League as well so I'd say you know there's nothing wrong with it like but it's a bit like Limerick but like I mean it's hurling like you can't create something mad or magical like I don't know sometimes Davy tries, tries to do it but like I think you just have to sometimes go toe to toe with teams, and and if you have the if you have the hurling like the other team, then it's just you see on the day like you know start with, and I think a tipper kind of starting to to do that. Not to get bogged down in structures here, Murph, but for Tipperary, it's kind of job done on weekend one. You would expect to get results against both Antrim and Westmead, so therefore they're definitely going to be in the top three 
at the end of this, which means top three one A, top three one B in the current format will go into the new top flight for next season. So that's probably the goal if you're Tipperary. And even if you're Dublin in that division, it's not over for them at all in terms of finishing the top three. But Tip now kind of have that job done to a certain extent. And I guess, look, they look fit. They look firing a bit like they were last year. The whole trick is now making sure that that kind of early season promise carries on a bit further into the year for Tipperary, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as Sean was saying there, like, I understand where he's coming from when he was saying that being nervous going up to Parnell Park. I don't think any team is fully comfortable going up to Parnell Park in particular because... When, so then why when, did they play games in Crow Park last year instead of Parnell Park then? But, well, yeah, I suppose. But didn't we point out also that they don't really have a great record? I think it's a traditional thing from maybe... Maybe you probably have to go back six or seven years that, hmm. uh, that from that time previously... Parnell Park used to be a cauldron, really. But now, maybe that residual, I suppose, impression is still lingering around when realistically they haven't actually been that successful in Parnell Park. What I'm saying, I suppose, is that, yeah, they haven't been successful, but there's still something in the back of your head saying, Dublin could suddenly just turn up here today and and, and turn us over. Because particularly when you're a bigger team like Tipperary, I think if ever you're going to get a reaction out of Dublin, it's, it's on those days. In fairness to Dublin, you know, Dublin, they're, they are proud... Um, they are proud in terms of not just in hurling but also in football obviously and they tend to get in your face we just haven't seen a lot of it over the last few years but I would always you know we played Dublin in Parnell Park in 2018 I believe it was uh, and we were down by about I think 8 points um, with, with 20 minutes to go and we turned them over and managed to win by I think a point or two in the end but we got drawn into a game that Dublin drew us into and it felt quite frantic and when Dublin do that, it can feel like you're, it's nearly claustrophobic because they, they put so much pressure on you. But I think, as, as, as Sean was saying there, like they went up and you could see at times that there just this just wasn't this urgency about the Dublin team. They were the ones making the mistakes. And when you see Dublin making the mistakes, then you then kind of get a bit of belief off them. They're going, OK, this isn't the Dublin I was maybe fearing was going to turn up today. But if you look at it as well, though, I mean, yeah, yeah, I have to say, when they got that point, it was about 15 minutes ago where there was a goal opportunity and brought it back to four points. For all the things they were doing wrong, like, I mean, Sean, you pointed out four area, four times where they um, turned over a ball, where Tipperary turned over a ball because Dublin were making faults. I mean, you can actually identify an area where that Dublin could have been on level terms against Tipperary will be very complimentary of Tipperary and how they played and all the things like Willie Connors was active midfield and Owen Connolly both of them were really good with midfield they were creating opportunities you know Owen Connolly's sideline was unbelievable over to the far side that was the score of the game really so you could be very complimentary of Tipperary nevertheless as Sean pointed out on Twitter there was four opportunities where Dublin just handed over the ball really to Tipperary and Tipperary got four scores so like you can actually pick out the areas where Dublin could have been on terms here with Tipperary and I think that's probably an area that maybe Dublin need to focus on from a positive point of view. You know, oftentimes you do need to be hard on yourself as a team, but I think Dublin, you know, they've had a lot of negative days over the last few years that maybe pointed at and going, lads, if we actually worked on these, okay, we're missing a few players, Donald Burke is to come back and, you know, Danny Sutcliffe and these lads, like, you know, we're missing players, but nevertheless, you know, we were in with a shout against Tipperary here, but we kind of maybe handed the game to them. You know, if you look at it from that point of view, there's a lot to work on. And and I do believe that, like, you know, going out against Westmead and going out against Antrim, particularly Antrim, I think it's next weekend down in Parnell Park. Oh, no, sorry, it's in Corrigan Park, actually, next week. Like, there's an opportunity for Dublin to actually go and say, if you get a win there, like, teams have struggled in the past up in Corrigan Park against Antrim granted Neil McManus would be a big loss now for Antrim as well but 
Dublin can go and get a good win against Antrim and then go, okay, well, now let's reassess and let's make this positive. If we're this close to Tipperary to an extent, Tipperary weren't the polished article either weekend, but Dublin can still come away from this going, lads, like, we're, we're not within that, we're, we're, in, we're within a shout here of actually being within Tipperary. And realistically, are we playing with fire? We're not really. Are we making mistakes? We're making a lot of mistakes. And going back to a point even Sean made earlier, it'll always be relevant that you should be winning a 50-50 ball or fighting as hard as you can possibly for it even if your game plan isn't working can Dublin say they're doing that at the moment no they're not like I mean there's you can definitely identify areas where Dublin are maybe being too nice against teams and individual players aren't just getting stuck in so there's lots of areas that Dublin can actually look at and maybe go lads like we either want to go at this and give it a good rattle and make our peace with it if we're not good enough but at least if we go out and we perform okay if the game plan doesn't necessarily work exactly the way we want it to work but our performance and a gutsy performance and I'll point at Wexford the weekend I actually thought Wexford were very gutsy at the weekend I mean there was a few times there that rucks went on and the crowd really got into it because Kenny were fighting and Wexford were fighting really hard for it there's times there who are not seeing that from Dublin and I think Michal Dunne who would be going lads I'll, I'll be happy if you go out and fight as hard as you can here you fight here we'll make a few mistakes that'll be fine but if you put in a gutsy performance I think any supporter or any management can make their peace with that I, just, Dublin just aren't doing it at the moment that old Dublin we used to see just isn't happening at the moment and I think the biggest challenge for Michal Dunne is, is, is finding out where he can get that fire back into him like that fire we had with Anthony Daly and, and those teams that trying to ignite that back into Dublin at the moment is the biggest challenge Dublin have and um, if it, yeah. go on. but if you look at the Dublin team like you're right Mark like if you look at them physically you're like geez they are like we, we're walking within our hurlies you're saying geez they are the mm. monsters are strong even some of the smaller lads are strong so like you know like you'd often wonder you know when you go into teams and you say like being realistic Dublin probably aren't as good a hurlers as any of the five teams in Munster. Dublin probably aren't as good a hurlers as Kenny and Galway. So, like, that's seven teams you're not as good. But, like, when you're playing those teams, like, are you going to beat them at what the other teams are doing? Like, are you going to beat Cork at what they're doing, what they, the same type of game? You're probably not. Yeah. And, like, like, there's nothing wrong. I think, probably sounds old school, but there's nothing wrong for a team like that to just, as you say, like, just be really, really organised, structure, and then, you know, during play, just get the ball in to big men. You know, you have Crummies, you have Danny Soft, you have all these good lads in the air, you have Hayes, you have, you have a good few players that are really strong in the air and just dog it out on the break. And even if you lose the ball, like at least there's the opposition under huge pressure. You know, and, and like sometimes you kinda of, it's like soccer, like all these teams are trying to play like, you know, Man City, but you're like it's not possible, like, you know. Yeah. And I often find in hurling like you, you can go and try and you know copy Limerick but like you know Limerick are on the road for five five six years they nearly have the same team out for the last five or six years I mean you see a lot of other counties there there's three or four or five changes every couple of years like so that's you know that cohesion and that trust and all that isn't there but for Dublin I, I was looking at them the other day I was like if they got all their lads back that they have I mean a really direct and in your face kind of like put them under pressure type of game but mm. apply the pressure up with the other half of the field and not sit back and let the other teams come at you and I think that might work for them because that's the way they did get results before I know they probably played with an extra back and stuff like that but they like you always remember those teams maybe 10 years ago it was just pure carnage like it was carnage like and, and yeah. like, there's nothing wrong with it playing like that and look are Dublin going to win in All-Ireland? No e- either way they play 
But we would like to just come off the field and say, geez, we absolutely emptied it. And you can look in each other in the eye in the dressing room, but we absolutely emptied ourselves there. Murph, what went wrong with Cork? Because they find themselves in an okay position half time. They get the goals from Tommy O'Connell and from Patrick Horgan. You're thinking, okay, go out there, go toe to toe with Clare now in the second half, and this one's going to be right in the melting pot. Then Clare runs seven of eight points over, a, I think it was a 14 minute spell early in the second half. Clare then go out into a lead, which is 21 points to two goals and eight. Cork come back into it somewhat, and it takes the late goal uh, from Shane Amory to absolutely seal the victory for Clare. But for Cork, they're going to be sick with the way they played for that 15 minute spell after half time. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they handed over momentum to uh, to Clare at the start of the second half. Really important time, and they've done a lot of good hurling in the first half as well, and looked really sharp. Um, even the goal opportunities they created, you know, it was really good, kind of creating them to extend from nothing, but just running at Clare and seeing what what holes would open up to create the opportunities. So I think the fact that, again, a slow start in the second half, it's always a criminal thing, you feel, as, as a team that, look, OK, every team goes out and tries to get the first score in the second half and these things. But to really, I suppose, hand over so much power to Clare, that's where Cork would be really disappointed with. A good few of the things I saw from, from Cork was formation. Again, I wouldn't be too hard on them because it's the time of the year that we're in. You know, teams are trying to implement their formations whatever way. But, I mean, if you look at Shane Amore's goal, the space that opened up behind was was enormous space and really Shane Amori was just true now great pass from David Fitzgerald it was, it was outstanding um, and allowed Shane Amori to stay running but if you were to freeze frame that um, as he takes it up out of the left half forward position there was nobody out on the right side really for Cork and it was crying out for a clear pair to sprint into it similarly enough in the second half now maybe it's a little bit symptomatic like Sean was saying there from, from the Cork puckouts they were providing so many players for puckouts there was no one really inside in the full forward line that that out ball was never there. So if the ball landed in, it was really just reset for Clare. So a lot of it, you know, I, I felt from Cork was just, uh, I suppose, a drifting as a team as a whole from what the formation was. They maybe implemented a few game um, game plans with it during the game, but what it seemed to expose was that they left massive areas of the pitch just completely uncovered. And Clare, Clare were just kind of reading what was in front of them. Clare were going, okay, the ball is breaking here, getting the head up, having to look around, moving the ball really well. They didn't seem as restricted in the formation or the style that they were playing. And as a result, kind of just played what was in front of them. Um, so I think what Cork would be disappointed with is that, okay, when they were going good, they were really good and they were popping up with scores and they caused problems for Clare. They came back into the game really well, in fairness to them as well. But it seemed to be each time that they were handing over the power to Clare, it was just that they were at sixes and sevens in terms of giving away stupid freeze to start of the second half. Um, again, just that they weren't, didn't seem to be communicating, that too many players were committing out the field as opposed to, okay, lads, where's the full forward line here? We need lads in deeper, we need lads showing. So there's a small bit of confusion. But again, what I will say for Cork is that at this time of the year, you'd be critical of lots of teams with that. Um, and I think what you have to do with teams as well this time of the year is, yeah, we have a game plan, but just allowing players to go out and hurl what they see in front of them um, as, as Clare did Clare reaped a lot of benefits from that they didn't tie themselves down too much to a game plan so look Cork would be disappointed um, and I think Brian Owen will be really happy though to be honest because they are making and Ennis is a tough place to go and teams really recognise that at the moment and 
this is a big game, like you're saying, the start for teams to get into the top three. This is a big game as well for, for players just to go, right, that, that's that's a big win for us. We'll have easier games, but beating, beating Cork up in Ennis, happy days, great start. You know, a lot of lads put their hand up as well. Mark Rogers was excellent. You know, Shane Amori popping up as well. Did a widespread of scores. So I think Clare will just be really happy all around, but, but Cork really, I suppose, gave them the platform to start that second half for them to go and, I suppose, build on it and, and build a really significant lead. It was always going to be hard for Clare or for Cork to turn over. Yeah, that'd be the pleasing thing, Sean. You know, some of these young lads coming in for Clare because, look, you accept that Tony Kelly's not going to be back till Championship. You accept that maybe some lads are going to have to be tried out. Uh, Garol Sheedy got a point on his uh, first start for Clare during the game. And uh, some of those lads who've looked promising over the last year or two got game time at the weekend. And really, from Brian Lowen's point of view, we spoke about this last week, league silverware won't be the be-all and end-all. But having that competitive panel that are ready to come flying into the Championship is really what this year is all about for them. Yeah, hundred percent. And you could see it last year, like they, like you, you only need twenty twenty one, like you probably need that much, and you get through a championship probably with twenty twenty one players. And it's just to have those five or six lads that you can really trust. That whereas it's starting them in a monster championship game, and one or two lads are injured, that you can throw in and they survive. Um, like Rogers, yeah, he's a fine hurler. I was watching him even playing um, Fitzgibbon before. Like he's a serious hurler, and he's there. Like he's all there as well. Like he's for a young lad. He's all there, but like that's all they're looking for in terms of get three or four more lads to add. And Shane Amore is a, a kind of interesting one. Like he's been knocking around there for the last, you know, what probably ten years now at this stage, and he's probably never really nailed down a, a, a place on the team. But like he's fantastic pace. He's well able to hurl and all that. He's I think for the modern game, he's 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 perfect for what what you want. Um, so it'll be interesting. Like but like even Clare last year down that Clare game with Tip. Like a couple of goalkeeper mistakes really was all that cost them and I know this they would probably they still got to the Munster final but I think big thing for Clare is just getting back to another Munster final and seeing can they, they go and beat beat Limerick. Um I still think they're good enough to to get out of Munster again. But even maybe good playing without Tony Kelly as well, because you know yourself, um you know, when you're playing when you're playing in a team with Tony Kelly there, you're probably gonna shovel the ball off to him if he's looping around or things like that. Whereas now Oh, you're playing the ball into Rogers. You're playing into the ball into these players, and you have to go and win it and put it over, put it over the bar. So that's good. It's probably putting a, putting a different focus on some players, um, even for players out the field. Like you know, you're going through and you're looking for Tony Kelly. Not I just go for myself. Like John sort of it. So that's interesting to see now. Can I think if Clare can get another two or three players, and I think they definitely need a cornerback though. I think they need maybe another back just in case. Um, they kind of struggled last year inside in the Munster final. Um, like Keen Nolan, I think he was. Look, I thought, to be honest, I thought Keen Nolan was left out to dry. He got a lot of abuse after it, but I, I thought it was unfair. And I, did, I think he's gone off the panel there now. I think he's gone travelling or something like that. But I think they probably need one more back. Just you, know, you need probably four, four inside backs to, uh, for for a championship or maybe five. And um, the way things are going with, when you're playing week on week and you're picking up knocks here and there. Um, for Cork, I thought Toomey was was very good yesterday. I think for what Cork need, he didn't light it up. But I just think for what Cork need, he's he's a, he's a rangy player. Uh, he came out and won a few balls, won a few high balls. He came out very well and just took you know simple ball out under pressure into the hand that got played out from the back. So he's a player that that Cork need because Dalton was their main go-to man in Puckhouse last year, and he was their main man. Like they were winning be a breaking ball or winning a clean ball off long puckouts. He was their man. And if he goes, goes back onto Seamus Herrandy and 
Like Hannity is, is oh look, is there 70 minutes in him over maybe what, a six or seven week period every game? Probably not come championship. So they really need to find players like that. But it's interesting what Paul was saying about shape. Like, I, like when you were playing with Kenny, like was it, did you just hold your shape and he kind of relied on you know, Walter and these lads come back and help you out, but you knew you could just hold your side of the field or hold your corner or hold your wing. What way did you go about things? Um, no, we were always, uh, I suppose, what Brian had always said to us is that you can go with your man. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're starting right corner back and you end up left half back, that's absolutely fine. Go with them. But there was times, particularly, let's say, you know, go back as far as 2011 and 12 where Galway would have posed the question to us where after, in 2012 the final they rotated clock, was it clockwise or anti-clockwise anyway after the ball went wide or the ball went over the bar they rotated so if there was a man-marking job being done there's confusion then straight away the question is do I stay with him or do I hold a position what's the situation so they caused problems with us then and and the likes of when we would have played Galway after that we would have done man-marking jobs to an extent and maybe reset but the, there was always the emphasis on if we were holding the shape um and usually what would have happened would have been we would have played a team maybe in the league. We might have been seen to be, a, not, not not exposed, but a team might have identified a way to draw us out, particularly draw our half-back line out towards midfield and leave the full-back line with acres of space in front of us. And the following week then, we would have been saying, right, lads, we can't let that happen again. And there would have been a kind of an arm wrestle on with the other team to basically go, let's half-back line, you need to kind of sit back, midfield needs to sit back. But it has to work as a unit then and the half-forward line have to come out. And the only way that works is that if, if, if the midfield don't work, let's say the half-back line sit back a small bit, if the midfield don't, the whole thing falls apart. And if the half-forward line, half line doesn't, the whole thing falls apart. You need them as a unit working. But eventually, and, and, and the thing is with the league, is that a team, if a team tries to do that next week, they won't probably get it right. They might get it right for 50% of the game. And the following week, they'll get it right for 60% of the game and so on. And you build. With the aim of when it comes to championship, then we would have felt that the way we the majority would have played would have been our half-back line tries to hold our shape, kind of sit between the 45 and the 65, with the midfielders really tracking back. When that ball has gone in over their head, they're tracking back with the half-back line with the freedom to also track back. And absolutely then, the half-forward line, their job, particularly two wing forwards, was to really get back in that channel and cut off a recycled ball, but also if we turn over the ball, you're now an outlet. So oftentimes, we, we saw it in the Leinster final two years ago where Adrian Mullen, Parik Mannion was on Adrian Mullen, and Adrian Mullen was dropping far enough back where, again, that question was asked of, of Parik Mannion of, do I go with him or do I stay off him? Whereas the Kilkenny lads knew that Parik Mannion is staying off Adrian Mullen, and when they turned over the ball, because all the players were fleeting back, when they turned over the ball, they now had an out ball at wing forward. So really, we would have done that. And Walter was great at it as well, it still is, where Walter will be a big man under the puck out on wing forward. But when that ball goes back, he's almost on the midfield or our own 65 line, out near the sideline, and you have an out ball up that channel. So that was really the formation we would have used. And I think what was good about it as well is that when things weren't working out for you, it was kind of easy to identify where maybe it wasn't working out. You know, the simpler the game plan, oftentimes it's easier to figure out then where things are going wrong. If you have a very complicated game plan, it can actually be very tricky after the game to sift through the bones of what actually went wrong here. So on a very basic level, that's the way we would have operated, getting our half-hour line to drift back out. And the odd time as well, what Brian would have also done would have been 
let's say the likes of Owen Ackwood had done it for years, started number 15 at, at left corner forward, but free license, off you go, there's your free license. And you see that now as well, the likes of Owen Cody will get it, the likes of Adrian Mullen will get it. There's only certain players that know how to use it where you say, you're starting there, go where you want and leave two lads inside. So you'll see lots of teams doing that, but really for us, that was generally the game plan we would have often implemented, but always with the caveat that, lads, read it as you see it as well. If, it, if it's not working or you feel you need to change it, change it on the field and don't wait for us to say it right three pieces of housekeeping uh, before we call time in the first part of the Monday pod uh, first of all uh, Sean if you can tell us while I go through the YouTube comments here from last week to kind of throw them out there what are you writing about this week and if anyone wants to read more where's the best place to find your work at the moment so uh, yeah at the moment now I'm actually doing an article on the amount of balls when teams are playing the short game uh where the scores are actually like turnovers and you know, how people are getting turned over be it you know passing with a no line of sight or a poor stick pass and seeing you know what, how, many, how many scores are coming from it being conceded and how many scores are coming down the other end of the field and just seeing you know because it is high risk playing that short game so just kind of looking at say what happens when a team you know does it and when they get turned over are they getting pinged on the scoreboard and what's the return on the other end of the field in terms of scores so um, yeah I have a website called flinners.com not very creative no uh, I should have probably asked somebody what to do but um, <laughs> I look it's, it's, I enjoy I enjoy doing a bit of writing um, it's a nice old escape and uh, when you're a teacher you've got the time to play around with but um, no I enjoy it so I'm going to have that maybe I'm going to tip away at it over the midterm next week and hopefully have it out for next weekend uh, the following weekend so um yeah, that's that's what I'm doing at the moment anyway. Oh, with the public sector talks, never admit that you have that much spare time. You're meant to be yeah, yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah. And okay, my money so right, <laughs> so, some, Somewhere James Gale is going mad now that there's two public sector two public sector lads are on the pod this week. Yeah. He, he loves law in the private sector. Well, on the YouTube, uh, if you're watching us on this Monday, Hefo67, just 17 hours ago, was watching last week's pod ahead of the league. NFL podcast, three question marks. Tattoo reviews, three question marks. We all hate tips sing- sing-along, three question marks. Whatever happened to the hurling podcast, lads? Well, look, you got a whole lot of hurling tactics this week. So, you know, we're, we're a wide church. We bring plenty to the to the table here. Uh, Dublin's Fair City also given out. Skehel is going down the spiteful role of Michael Verney in our game, who frequently feels the need to proclaim his hatred of Tipperary. Almost every week, it's the same story. Not not very professional or dignified I don't know I don't think Tipperary people really take Skell too seriously on this especially when he rocked up at the live show in a Tipperary jersey in the second half and Stockroom Tim on O'Donovan's point we're talking about the point he scored in 2013 uh, Clare played Leash earlier in 2013 and every Clare player had scored that day including the subs and goalkeeper except O'Donovan that backs up uh, Murph's point you had a very unconventional shooter stepping up to take the shot so that's a selection of them and Murph one more thing for you to react to which was sent to me Last night, let's have a look at this beautiful piece of art. The first piece of fan art we've received. Oh, yeah. Jesus, actually. <laughs> John Gunter Art here on the work. Uh, I'm going to have to describe what's on screen here because, obviously, for the, the listeners to the pod, they won't know. So, over James Gale's head, you've got a Tom Brady uh, signed shirt, which is uh, all framed up. And then you've also got the Mikey Butler fan club, which I didn't even know it had a logo, right over uh, Murph's head. Uh, you've got a series of uh, very nice hurling books in front of me. Uh, we've got Murph's four all-stars. Skell and I have not contributed to this in behind us. We're all there with our OTB microphones in our uh, county kits. Absolutely wonderful work, Murph. Yeah, that uh, was great. Now, unexpected, but um, 
I never saw myself portrayed in a cartoon before, so uh, no, fair play to him. It was, it's great. Uh, you see lots of stuff out there, like you know, from I suppose lads, graphic designers, or whatever, I don't know, cartoonists, what it is you want to call them. But there's a lot of creative stuff going on there. You know, Yellow Belly down in Wexford does another great job as well. So um, there's lots of great stuff out there. But it's funny seeing, particularly the smaller bits within that, that that he's after picking out the Mikey Butler fan club. Like you said, has has a logo now, a little bit of a swear jar on the table as well. So. Uh, <laughs> on the back there as well is it? Oh I don't know I, th- I think I'd have to collectively claim that on behalf of Off the Ball but yes we were uh, Sports Show of the Year last year so that's effectively where that's from so um, a very nice piece of work by John Gunter check him out on uh, particularly his Instagram where he's got all of his illustrations there I noticed he was on Twitter as well after I tweeted it out last night so uh, have a check if you want to go back and check our uh, tweet where we put it out last night uh, you'll see all the details for his Instagram page there as well it's a good uh Thing to have a quick, a quick look through as well. Loads of kind of hurling based ones. Well, he's obviously a massive hurling fan. Sean, it's been a pleasure to have you on the pod this week as well. Not a bother. Not a bother. No swearing as well. No, clean. The swear jar is empty. <laughs> Pearl Scale is going to have to come back and swear like a trooper after his uh, his trip to the Canary <laughs> Islands when he comes back with us next week. Uh, Murph, we're going to be back for the, the members only pod. Yeah. Happy days. Uh, the members o- the members only pod, by the way, if you want to join us and get more hurling pod into your life and indeed get all of Off the Ball's content for the week, go to offtheball.com forward slash join. Or if you know someone who likes the pod and you go, hey, I'd like to gift it over to them, offtheball.com forward slash gift. You can get 10 months for the price of 12. If you're signing up, uh, I know a lot of people watch us on YouTube and don't listen to us. You can sign up on the Off the Ball YouTube and get everything there or sign up on your preferred podcast platform. Uh, try and help people out when they DM me to ask about this but if you're going to sign up you want to use the OTB app sign up there you can use there in the Go Loud player if you want to sign up on Apple do so there do Spotify they're not transferable from one to the other so you need to sign up wherever it suits you best but hopefully you can join us for another pod Sean thanks a million Paul we'll chat to you during the week on the members pod as well sound lads sound cheers OTB's The Hurling Pod with Board Gosh Energy proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship 